So as mentioned, we are starting uh, part one today of what is going to be a very short uh, series. And the series itself is meant to be almost like an introduction to a theme for the remainder of the year. We're wanting to keep coming back to this idea of actually making an impact. I am increasingly convinced that it is impossible for me to be impacted by Jesus and not ultimately impact others. In fact, I'm so challenged, I'm thinking, okay, to the extent that my life is impacting others is maybe the extent to which I'm allowing Jesus to, to impact me. Now, I don't want to give you the wrong impression, and I don't, I don't want us to get the order wrong. The order is not that I impact others so that I feel better about whether or not I'm in a healthy relationship with Jesus. The order is, God, help me to be in a healthy relationship with Jesus, that I'm following Him well, to the point that I almost can't help but overflow and make a difference in some way in other people's lives. Uh, Jesus said the following. In Matthew chapter 5, we're reading from verse 14. Now, He's speaking to His followers, right? So followers, you might have heard the term disciples or Christians. I actually honestly prefer the word follower to Christian because I think Christians can mean so many different things in the 21st century. But, but effectively, when they were first called Christians, it meant that they were followers of Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking to His followers when He says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5, He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He's not saying you should be, you might be. He's saying, no, whoa, 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 whoa. You are, like you're it. I, I honestly do believe that his followers are plan A. There is no plan B. God doesn't really send angels when we drop the ball. Like, like we're it, right? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Which makes you wonder, if I am so easily hidden, am I a light to the world? Just a question. If people can be around me for a long time, for an extended period of time, and there's no life and no light that gets kind of like shared and over, that like overflows, maybe I need to ask whether or not I am following Jesus. He goes on verse 15, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I want us to understand that sometimes, even though we might be tempted to ask God to move us out of our circumstances, out of that place of work, or out of that school, or out of that class, or I don't know, maybe you've even asked to be moved out of your family. Is it possible that God wants you to shine brightest where it is darkest? Is it possible that maybe God isn't wanting you to only work around a bunch of other Christians, that maybe God actually wants you to shine brightest where there are people that maybe don't have anybody else that can shine? Maybe you're the only person that the people you do life with will actually know that have a relationship. If you don't pray for them, maybe no one else is going to pray for them. If, you, if you're not an example, if you don't somehow allow fruit to be formed and born, in your life, is it possible that maybe they're not going to see that anywhere else? It must give light to everyone. In the same way, verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. And here's the reason, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
The idea behind allowing your light to shine or behind doing good isn't so that you look good. It's so that He looks good. It's so that people are actually drawn to the, the source of your fruit, the source of your light, the source of your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your self-control, your diligence, your integrity. I, maybe I'm being a little bit cynical, but I almost don't even feel like you have to be that extraordinary to appear extraordinary anymore. Like for you to actually just be credible, for you to actually just be trustworthy, actually sets you apart, I think, more and more nowadays. For you to, for you to not gossip, for you to be humble, for you to be quick to apologize, for you to, for you to be quick to take responsibility when, when you've dropped a ball and to not make excuses, for you to be faithful, diligent, reliable, I feel like that actually sets you apart already if it's being done for the right reason. He wants our light to shine. I'm wanting us to kind of come back to the scripture over the next few weeks just as, a, as a, almost like a foundational scripture for this series. And as we go into the rest of the year and as we tackle different topics and areas where God wants us to be an impact, I want us to keep remembering that it is for the sake of God. We, we want to impact others that they can actually find hope and healing and wholeness in Jesus. It is to direct people to God. I want to read one more passage just for today's purposes to you that has often been a challenge to me and an inspiration to me and an encouragement and even a rebuke at other times. Just to give you some background very quickly, the, the story involves Peter and John. These are two of Jesus' followers. Um, they are in Jerusalem, and this is roughly six weeks after Jesus has been crucified. So, so bear in mind, Jesus was falsely accused. There was a sham trial and, and ultimately he was crucified. All of this was led by a certain group of religious leaders that now Peter and John find themselves in front of. So they are facing the very same people that six weeks earlier had had their teacher, their friend, their rabbi, and now who they discovered is their Messiah. They had, ha they had enough power to have him murdered without any cause six weeks earlier. Please like appreciate the the tension, the circumstances that they'd be finding themselves in. They, they're on their way to, to the temple to pray one day. So they're just going about their business, and they come across a lame man who's been placed there to beg. He's been lame from birth, and, he's, and he lives off of the charity of other people. And he looks up to them, asking, uh, hoping that they can give him something. They say, we can't give you what you're looking for, but we can give you what we do have. In other words, they didn't have money, so we can't give you what we don't have, but we can give you what we do have. And so in the name of Jesus, you know, Rise up and walk, he's healed, and it causes a, an incredible uh, sort of mayhem in the city. And the religious leaders are frustrated and intimidated that these guys are getting, you know, credit, and especially the fact that, it's, that they're doing this in the name of the guy that they just had murdered six weeks ago. So now they drag them in front of these religious leaders, and they're so, they're so begrudgingly impressed with these followers of Jesus that we then read. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think that should be one of the most encouraging and inspiring passages of Scripture for modern-day followers of Jesus. That people can see courage because, because they, they didn't expect them to be courageous. They expected them to be intimidated. 
They, they knew that when Jesus was arrested, his followers like disappeared. Jesus denied. Guys, we're talking six weeks earlier. So today is Valentine's Day. Imagine on the 1st of January, like it wasn't that long ago. Remember? Remember? Wasn't that exciting for most of us? But like New Year's Eve, remember? Okay, six weeks ago. That's just the other day. They knew that these guys had deserted him. Now all of a sudden, they're preaching boldly and they're sharing confidently and they appear to be doing miracles in the name of Jesus. I love it that they can take note of the courage in Peter and John. And I love that they take note that they were ordinary men. I am convinced to the core of my being that God uses ordinary people who will say yes. We're impressed with people that have all kinds of qualifications and and experience. And by the way, God uses people like that too, but not because they're educated and qualified and experienced or gifted or skilled. He uses people that between them and God, they're ordinary, they're humble, they, they know their limitations, but they know the limitations of their God. And they're willing to say yes. It should encourage us as we talk about impact, as we look at some of these ideas that God uses ordinary people. And then lastly, I love that they could see that there was something about them that showed these men there was something about them that caused them to stop and take note that they had been with Jesus. I want to suggest that the highest praise that you could receive in your life ever is for someone to sincerely stand back and say to someone else maybe, Jeesh, I can see that person has been with Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Imagine if your colleagues, imagine if some of, some of your friends at school or, or someone in your family or extended family, maybe, maybe even a little bit begrudgingly, like kind of like steps back and says, like there's something about them. I think, that, I think that too often as Christians, I think too often we are too encouraged by too much content and not enough character. We live in a content age. There's more content available to us than ever before. You don't have to be impressive to be able to quote all kinds of great one-liners and phrases and, 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 and to be able to even explain complex things because we have so much available to us to help us understand these things. It has deeply moved me over this last while. I think I might have mentioned in one of the services last week that I've been reading a biography of Dallas Willard. I finished it yesterday. And it just, I was saying to Stuart, like it, it, it has so impacted me that even though this man is known for his content, he, he's, he's written what some would argue are some of the classics of spiritual formation in the last in 100 years, certainly in the last 50 years. He's influenced significant people that have, in turn, influenced others around the world. But how time and time again, as this biographer was sharing stories of people that were spending time with him, over and over and over again, they commented on how much more they were impacted by him as a person than by his content, his ideas. He was a, he was a bright, bright man. He, he, led, he headed up the philosophy department at LA. Edu- educated guy. But they were most moved by his personhood 
by his character. And by the way, just so you know, I was also very encouraged to find, to read about his imperfections and as he struggled with a bit of anxiety and depression and where he wrestled other issues as a parent and, and struggled with boundaries and saying no. So, so it's funny. I was encouraged by both. I, I get very encouraged when I hear of people that are impressive that have to wrestle through stuff. Maybe that says something funny about me, but I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Okay, there's hope. They also struggled. Okay. But then to be, to be so aware that people were more impacted by spending time with him than just by reading his ideas. I'm just being honest with you, that, that, is, that is becoming a new, I mean, it shouldn't be new, but I think too often, I'm even a little bit too concerned with whether or not I have the answers, whether or not I have the explanation, whether or not I can make sense out of stuff for people. And I want to be more concerned with, with me interacting with people, certainly and most importantly, my family, so those that I'm closest to, that one day they can look back and they will have had a reference point for what a follower of Jesus might look like. Like where they would, where they, imagine people can say, there's just peace. There was always this non-anxious presence. There was, there was kindness. There was, there was a sensitivity to being interrupted when appropriate. And yet, and yet there was a firmness to when they needed to say no because they didn't, just react to needing to please or impress people. They, like they, they, there was just a healthy, non-offensive security to them. Is this making sense? God wants to use us to impact people's lives. I love um, Mac. I forget his name. We'll, we'll have the quote up in a moment. Um, Mulholland. What's his first name? Robert Mulholland. Thank you. Also written another great spiritual classic called Invitation to a Journey. One of the best descriptions I've, I've read about what spiritual formation is, where he, he effectively talks about how it is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And then he kind of breaks the first several chapters of his book up, one chapter on the process, another chapter on being formed, another chapter of in the likeness of Christ, and then for the sake of others. Guys, we, we can be relaxed and secure that it's a process. It's not a quick fix. It's not a, it's not a sprint. This is a marathon. We, in fact, this is like, like you're climbing a mountain and it's a bit of an adventure. We are being formed. We can fake it. We can force it. But ultimately, it's something that's being formed from the inside out into the likeness or the image of Christ. But make no mistake, it's also for the sake of others. If I don't care about others, if I'm not... If I'm not burden for others, and not because it's my job, not because you've been tasked with that. I so badly want to impart a burden for the ordinary, outside of our structured responsibilities in terms of, so okay, sure, I'm a pastor, I have responsibilities, okay, but, but what about in the ordinary day-to-day -day interactions with people, or as a father, as a, as a husband, as a friend? As, 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 a, as a member of a team that serves in the community in, in other areas. For the sake of others, God wants us to impact. Just three key ideas that I want to highlight from that passage. The first is that they were ordinary. I mentioned earlier that if you go back and read the beginning of chapter 3, they were just on their way. Peter and John were just on their way to the temple. They, they weren't looking to, to have something that they could post on Instagram. Like it was just, they weren't trying to impress anyone. They were just going about their business. 
It was an ordinary day, but they were able to observe an opportunity to make a difference. I want us to, I want us to start valuing the ordinary way more than what we do. If God could help us to be more observant, to recognize little opportunities, to just be present, to, to maybe say a little prayer when you know someone's struggling with something and not, and, and maybe you don't even get to tell them about it. But, but in the meantime, you're actually interceding on their behalf. They don't even know that you're interceding, but you're interceding. Is it possible that without you seeing any fruit that you're actually making a difference? That potentially you're having an impact? Who knows what role other people's prayer played in you serving God if you're serving God right now? Is it possible that there was a granny or an aunt or an uncle or, or, a, or a friend or someone? I think that there's so many things that we can do in the ordinary. I love it that they were just going about their business. And yet, and yet, by the way, so again, they, they observed an opportunity in the ordinary. But if you read the chapter before, so Acts chapter 2, you see that, that Peter also recognized an opportunity on the day of Pentecost to actually explain the gospel to multitudes. It was, they were all in Jerusalem. We don't know how many there were, but we know that 3,000 people responded and got baptized. So there were a large number of people. So, so I love it that Peter goes from recognizing and responding to a fairly significant, large opportunity. And then next thing you read, the beginning of chapter 3, they were just going about their business. And they recognized an opportunity and they were obedient to it. I love it that if you read the story, you see that they are not intimidated by their limitations. They weren't, they weren't intimidated by the fact that they could not give him money. They didn't have money to give him, even though that's what he was asking for. I love that they could see that what he thought he needed was far inferior to what he actually needed, and that they were able to offer him what he actually needed. And then I love it that in doing that, they were able to direct him to Jesus. They didn't walk away with, with him thinking, wow, those guys are amazing. Like, we need to put them on prime time. We need, we, we need to get them to... You know, to touch every, every sick person. I mean, maybe some people did think that. But the fact that they were quick to say it's about Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. I love it that these guys were ordinary. And I want to encourage you to trust God to make a difference in the ordinary and to give you the patience. I want to remind you that one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the signs that we're in a life-giving relationship with God is that we are patient. And I just think that we live in, an, in, a, in, a, in a time in history where patience is the last thing that you need. We can make pretty much anything we want happen in record time, and we can be as efficient as possible, but love is not efficient. And we are called to be people of love. So we need to actually be present in the ordinary. If we're, if we're too distracted... If we, if we only value the extraordinary, I think we're going to miss most of the opportunities that God actually has for us to just sow another seed. Sow another seed. Put a little more water on. Let's be patient and observant with the ordinary. Second idea is that they were actually noticeable. I want to point out to you that they, that they didn't hide under you know, a bucket. They, there was something about them that said something about them. I honestly do think, and, and not for us to try and make ourselves look noticeable. No, no, I'm saying, can we live? Can we order our lives in such a way that people can't help but actually see 
something noteworthy. You might have heard us, if you've been around for a while, talk about language where we, where we say that we want to order our lives in such a way that we will be with Jesus. So we want to order our lives. That means that there's actually a structured, like we actually want to live according to certain rhythms and habits and values. It affects our schedule, our budget, our everything about the way we live so that we can be with Jesus. We can't help it, but then as a result, we're going to start becoming like Jesus. And then as we are with Him, as we become like Him, we can't help it. We will start doing what Jesus would do if He were me. I want to emphasize that order. We don't do it the other way around because then that's religious, that's burdensome, that's whip for our backs. When we're trying to like force ourselves to do what Jesus would do if He were me, and I'm so happy about it, and there's joy that's leaking out. No, no. No, no. If I will actually become secure in Him, grow in love for Him and receiving love from Him, allow Him to form the fruit in me that He wants to form in me, Guys, I'm telling you, it's going to be noticeable. We, we will increasingly, over a lifetime, we will increasingly do what Jesus would do if He were me. But I would argue that I need to live like Jesus would live if He were me, if I want to do what Jesus would do if He were me. I can't live like a normal 21st century man and expect to be like Jesus and expect to do what he would do for the right reasons in the right way at the right time. There's something about us that has to actually shift so that we will do what Jesus would do. And that, I believe, is noticeable. I love how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase in the message version, puts verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. It'll be noticeable. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father. I mentioned last week that, that I really do believe if people only knew how good God is, they'd want Him to. So if we can actually love God in such a way that we can't help but love people, I think that we're going to be noticeable, and I think that people are going to see God for who He is. Galatians 5 verse 6, the second half in the NIV says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We are people of love. We are to love God. We are to love people. The third and final point is that they could see that they had been with Jesus. And I honestly do believe that our public impact will be directly determined by my private intimacy with God. My public impact will be a direct, it'll be directly related to my personal, private intimacy with God. As I said earlier, we can fake it for a while. I, I've been around long enough to know how I should behave. Those closest to me know when I'm not behaving like I should behave. And there's only so much that I can do to fake that. That was a very strong agreement from my wife. Um, I, can, I can only fake that for so long. And it really does bother me. It, it causes me to reevaluate the kind of time I'm spending with God, but, but not only the time I'm spending with God, just my whole approach to life when I, when I can see that the fruit that is meant to be formed in me is not being formed in me. Well, then maybe I need to change something. Maybe I need to change something about the type of time I'm spending with God. Maybe I need to change something about my rhythm and my schedule. 
Romans 12 verse 2 in the message paraphrase says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. They could see that they had been with Jesus. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. I love this idea that God is looking for us to be quickly obedient, to quickly respond. I think that we face opportunities almost every single day. It's just that they're not big enough, so we don't even notice it. But a lot of the time, we are faced with constant opportunities to say yes to Jesus in the way that we interact with those around us. I said it last week, I'll say it again, and I'll say it again and again and again as we go through this year. I believe that 90%, certainly the vast majority of the impact that God wants us to have on people is going to take place outside of the four walls of a church building or outside of a project. It's going to be where you are, that class, that club, that home, that business. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I want you to hear that language. There's a forming that takes place. It's a process, as Mulholland mentioned. I checked in with someone in our church who is a winemaker and a vitri, viti, who corrected me there? Thank you, Jeremy. A viti. In fact, I even wrote it down incorrectly at first, and then I realized that spell check was helping me out. A viticulturist. And then we had a student that is studying viticulturalism. Yeah, in the first service. Anyway, bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. This guy knows, okay, about, about, planting and tending to nurturing and developing grapevines so that with the intention of producing fruit, with the intention of you know, producing wine, which I guess is with the intention of making money. Anyway, um, and, and I wanted to check some things with him that I remember reading a few years back, and I wanted to just check that I'm not you know, misrecalling this. And the bottom line is, the, the part that, that stood out to me so much is you're saying that it does take at least three years worth of harvests before the winemaker is willing to use that fruit. So, so they go through all this trouble, right? So, so, so forgive me if I'm not using the right language, but they'll, but they'll basically plant what eventually will become the grapevines. I love how he used the word, he constantly made reference to how they train the vine. They train the branches to go where it needs to go on the trellis or along the wire. They, they have to help reinforce the, the branches so that they can carry the fruit. Guys, this stuff preaches, okay? And this, is, and, and this is why Jesus spoke about this metaphor in John chapter 15. Then, please, please, please remember that in John 15, Jesus says that the Father, who's the gardener, He prunes those branches that do produce fruit, not those that don't produce fruit. I want to encourage you that pruning is a sign of fruitfulness, not failure. When you feel like, oh, like, oh, yeah, just like it. I'm being challenged by stuff and stuff's being pointed out and people are noticing. Is it possible that God's trying to prune someone that's already actually fruit? Like, like a, maybe that's a sign that you are connected to the vine. So don't be discouraged, right? Anyway, he goes on. I mean, all kinds of incredibly interesting stuff. 
First year, it, it starts to produce some buds and some, some, I don't know, mini grapes, I guess. And they, and they take that fruit off and they throw it away because there's nowhere near ready to be used yet. Same thing for the second year. Think about the amount of time and effort and money and everything that goes into this. And patience. P-A-T-I-E-N-C-E. Patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience. God is patient and kind. He is patient in forming fruit in your life. Third year, fruit is produced. And that's the first time that they will consider using those grapes for wine. Well, they said that even then, a lot of the time, they will even get rid of that harvest. And then maybe from the fourth year, enough character has been produced. As, as the vine is, is planted deep enough, is drawing enough nutrition, it's starting to produce some character in the fruit. And then I love how he said that the, that the character of the fruit in that first year of usable fruit is completely different to the character of the fruit like on year 20. So it keeps, it keeps producing. Every, every time it comes around to harvest, there's like a new batch of fruit and it keeps growing in character. Guys, it's a process. I just think way too many Christians give up because you've subscribed to a consumer Christianity. You've subscribed, you've been sold on some quick fix, shortcut, silver bullet, just pray a prayer, everything will be sorted out type of Christianity. And that's not Christian, in fact, that's a cult. No, no. He invites us to a life. He invites us to be patient and faithful in the ordinary, everyday, going about type of life. And he says, if you'll keep connected to me, if you'll keep pressing into me, making time, ordering your life to be with me, you will become like me and you will do what I would do if I were you. I want to invite you to close your eyes. For a few moments. Those of you that are at home as well, if it's, if, if it's at all possible, don't do this if you're driving, but uh, if you're able to, close your eyes for a few moments. Try, try and switch off to any distractions unless your children need you desperately, in which case that might be the most spiritual thing for you to do. Give them attention. But as your, as your eyes are closed, can I just encourage you for a few moments to ask God to help you to see. God, help me to see the opportunities in the ordinary. God, help me to be more secure in being ordinary. Forgive me, God, please, for times where I compare and compete with others. Where I tell you that you can't use me because I'm not like what I think is the, the perfect appearance of someone that you could use. God, help me to see the children that you've entrusted to me in my class, or the colleagues that you've entrusted to me at the office, or that family, or those friends that, that you've entrusted me to do life with. Help me to see the opportunities in the ordinary. And God, would you help me to persevere with those opportunities in the ordinary? Help me to order my life in such a way that I can be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus would do if he were me. Help me to allow him to impact my life to such an extent that I can't help but impact others. God, please, would you forgive me and help me to overlook all the many moments of discouragement where, where, where I give up or where I limit you. Help me to 
quickly respond. Help me to be quick to say yes. Help me to persevere with the children that you've placed, that you've tasked me with parenting or grandparenting or teaching. Help me to be patient with those people that you've called me to walk alongside for years. Help me not to give up after a couple of months or in some cases even a couple of years. God, help me to be quick to forgive that I don't allow offenses to hold me back. God, help me to let go of the lack of appreciation that people have expressed when I've tried to help and serve and love and give. Where I've been overlooked, where others haven't valued what I've done. God, help me to forgive. Help me to let go. God, would you prune that stuff? Would you prune anything out of my life that is not going to help form the fruit that you're wanting to form in my life? Lord, Lord, I give you permission. Cut it out. Point it out. Deal with it. Do whatever you have to do to produce the harvest that you want to produce that I can stand before you one day and hear you say those words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. I'm now going to entrust you with more. Help us, God. Help us to see. Help us to respond. And help us to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.